the pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's John DePietro on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. Hey, it's a nice uh, dry day. Why not head over to Kay's and get a delicious meal? You can uh, obviously eat there now, or you could take out. Either way, uh, it is, uh, folks, a nice, today would be a good day. You could certainly uh, be outside, uh, whether you're eating outside in one of their igloos, or uh, maybe, in fact, that you uh, would just do some takeout. But either way, they are waiting for you at Kay's. Now, I want to um, I want to dip in to right now the uh, hearing that is going on regarding the situation with the having the Capitol hearing. That is the as far as what happened with the with the Capitol. So I want to uh, dip in on that a little bit and then, folks, just a, a little bit because I think it is interesting. And then we're going to also uh, bring you up to speed. It looks like they're trying to push for Governor Amundo to have a vote on her full Senate confirmation hearing next week. So let me uh, dip in a little bit. This is the uh, hearing at the Capitol. And I'll do a- that we're going to have uh, various militia groups. Um, and extremists uh, in attendance. Uh, in addition to the fact that, uh, as um, Chief Conti had uh, testified to earlier, uh, weapons were recovered uh, during both those events. Okay. And so, uh, to the best of your recollection, in the lead up to January 6th, since it was comparable assessment, comparable intelligence, roughly, uh, you therefore proceeded with comparable preparation and posture. Yeah, that is that is absolutely correct. We proceeded with the posture of seeing it could have uh, instances of violence. We knew it was going to be focused on uh, the Capitol. We knew that there was going to be members of Proud Boy, Antifa uh, participating. And like I said before, Antifa, not Capitol Police, not Metropolitan Police, not any of our federal agencies had any information. We're going to be facing an armed insurrection of thousands of people. Now, if we take uh, the former Capitol Police Chief terrorism globally mentions antifa uh, and look at case studies uh, both incidents that were have been prevented and those that were successfully executed against the united states uh, is it plausible and i know hindsight's 2020 is it plausible that the november 14th december 12th incidents may well have been trial runs the, the very extremist organizations you've referenced uh, involved with the organizing and participation of November 14th, December 12th, to gain counterintelligence on how you and your partner agencies would be planning and preparing for such incidents. Well, as you rightly point out, when you look at some of the uh, uh, terrorist attacks that have occurred, there has been uh, pre-planning, there has been pre-surveillance, uh, pre-collection of intelligence on the security features. Uh, I don't know if the uh, November and December were two instances of that, but I would suspect with the fact that we're finding this was a coordinated attack, I wouldn't doubt there was um, pre-surveillance. So we don't know they were, we don't know they weren't. That's my correct. Point. Correct. Uh, and I know the intelligence folks will be here at a subsequent hearing, but we're, we're all in this together. In your letter and your uh, testimony earlier today, you bluntly uh, said the intelligence community missed this. That is correct, sir. That's the way I feel. Now, who was commander in chief 
on December 6th. When you say commander-in-chief? Who is the president of the United States? Uh, Donald Trump, sir. Overseeing the, the intelligence community that missed this. Repeat your answer. For the, the entire 18 agencies that represent the intelligence community? Yes, yes sir. They would be commander-in-chief. And who is that again? Uh, president Donald Trump. Okay. Uh, let me ask a couple of questions on a different topic. Um, I think it's uh, obvious to many across the country. I was one of three senators who was not in chambers on January 6th. I had uh, you know, the, the benefit, if you will, of watching the events occur in real time, both inside the Capitol and outside the Capitol on television. One thing that was not lost on me and many people that I've talked to is uh, the difference in both police presence and response on January 6th compared to uh, events from last summer when peaceful protesters were demonstrating in the nation's capital in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Uh, last summer, they were met with significant force. A uh, couple of data points to date, some 250 individuals who were involved in the capital insurrection of January 6th have been arrested. More will likely be arrested in the coming weeks and months, but only a small number, about 52 of these individuals were arrested on January 6th. By contrast, during the largely peaceful protest of last summer, 427 people were arrested. On January, excuse me, on June 1st alone, 289 people were arrested. Similarly, some 300 protesters were arrested during uh, the Kavanaugh hearings in 2018. So, uh, question, Mr. Sun, how, can you tell us exactly how? The Capitol Police preparations for January 6th differed from preparations for the protests from last summer. And if you can specifically address if they were the same or different use of Ford guidelines in place on January 6th compared to the protests of last summer or any criteria for making arrests on January 6th versus the protests from last summer. Okay, and if you could do that in about a minute. Uh, uh, yes, ma'am. Thank you, Senator. I, I will do that very concisely. Okay. So I want to look at it from planning and preparations. We plan for every demonstration the exact same way. doesn't matter the, the message of the, uh, the person. doesn't matter the demographics of the grievance involved in the demonstration. We do it the exact same way. We develop our information, we develop our intel, and we base a response plan on that. So let's transition to preparations. I will tell you, we handled 15 um, um, major demonstrations involving Black Lives Matter groups you know, following the, the death of George Floyd over the summer. We had a total of six arrests, six arrests, no use of less lethal capabilities, no use of lethal force capabilities. The uh, events, the everything that we put into place for January 6th far exceeded any planning that we did for any events in, 20, in, in 2020. With the full activation of the department, the size of the perimeter that we expanded, the deployment of additional um, protective equipment, the deployment of uh, uh, less lethal and the application of less lethal, uh, with far exceeded anything, uh, any other event that I can recollect on the nation's capital. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. We thank you. And prepared much more. Thank you. Uh, we're going to go and thank you, Senator Padilla. We're going to go to Senator Haggerty and then to Senator King. Folks, again, very patient. You're listening to the John DePietro show. You're quite well. to Senator Haggerty. Capital. Thank you, Chairman Klobuchar. Um, thank regarding you. Regarding the 
January 6th at the Capitol. Having us here today for holding this hearing, I want to begin by thanking all the law enforcement officers that are represented here today. You and your families, thank you for your sacrifice, and certainly my heart goes out to those families and their loved ones who lost their lives uh, in, in this. In spring of uh, in spring and summer of 2020, many people criticized the use of the National Guard to help restore order in Washington following some of the worst rioting in decades. Mayor Bowser said that the Guard presence was, and I quote, unnecessary and maybe counterproductive. And a D.C. National Guard leader even had to tell his troops, I quote again, some of the D.C. public does not agree with our mission and may have nefarious intention toward our servicemen. And according to a January 5th Washington Post report, top Pentagon officials emphasized that on January 6th, the Guard would have a, quote, far more muted presence than in June, saying that, quote, we've learned our lessons and will be absolutely nowhere near the Capitol building. Mr. Sondes stated that despite attempting to attain National Guard support on Capitol Hill on January 6th, he was unable to get approval of such support. And several people today have referred to concerns over the optics of January the 6th. So my first question is directed to Mr. Sun. Do you think that the backlash against the use of National Guard troops to restore order back in summertime led to reluctance in advance of January 6th to utilize Guard troops to protect the Capitol? Uh, sir, I, I cannot uh, really testify to what the inner working was or inner working decisions uh, over at the Pentagon regarding either the decisions from the over the summer or the memo that was put out by the Secretary of the Army on uh, the 4th. Uh, however, I was uh, very surprised at the amount of time and the pushback I was receiving uh, when I was making an urgent request for their assistance. That's regrettable. Uh, I'd also like to uh, follow up on a line of questioning that Senator Hawley brought up. Uh, Speaker Pelosi indicated that she intends to establish a commission to examine the events of January 6th. Of course, that's why we're here today, examining those issues. And Speaker Pelosi's also appointed a retired Army Lieutenant General, Russell Henre, who is going to lead the investigation of what happened. But days after the attack, General Henre said, I think once all this gets uncovered, and I'm quoting him, it was complicit actions by Capitol Police. Before he added, that you, Mr. Sund, were, quote, complicit, along with the sergeant-at-arms in the House and Senate. My question is, do any of you believe that comments like these by Mr. Onorex suggest that he is someone who is well-suited to conduct a serious and unbiased review of the events of January 6th? If so, please explain. I'll go ahead and uh, start with that response. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, I found the, the comments that he made regarding myself and also the Capitol Police officers uh, highly disrespectful to the hardworking women and men of that police department and also to myself. Uh, I welcome and I look forward to an after action that will move this agency forward, move our partnership with the federal agencies forward, but it has to be done in an unbiased fashion. I couldn't agree more, Mr. Sun. Any other responses? Uh, I, I would disagree with uh, the general's uh, uh, what he said. I don't believe that's true. There's a lot of people that uh, put themselves in very much uh, danger on that day, and uh, I think saying something like that is just uh, not uh, on good taste. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine uh, that being said myself, implying that you all were complicit in this. But I thank you for, for your answer and for your service. Folks, good afternoon. It's John DePietro. Uh, thank you very much, Senator Senate hearing. Uh, next, Senator King. On January 6th. 
at the Capitol. Um, you may be muted, Senator King. Oh, I got it. Okay, uh, great. Thank you, Madam Chair. And I, I want to thank the witnesses uh, first for their uh, patience this morning and their thoroughgoing answers. This has been a long hearing, and and uh, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the fact that uh, although you all are no longer, uh, other than the chief in Washington, no longer in your positions, uh, you've come forward to, to give us the benefit of, of your observations. It seems to me one of the clear, uh, and there's no, I'm not going to plow this ground again, but one of the clear uh, uh, pieces of information we've learned today is, a, is an intelligence failure. Not necessarily a failure of intelligence, but a failure to communicate intelligence. And uh, I think that's something uh, that we all need to, to think about. And you can be very helpful to us in, uh, in, in suggesting what should be the, the chain of communication in terms of, of, uh, of intelligence. You can't adequately prepare if you don't have the information. Uh, and it clearly uh, seems to me there were some failures. Uh, Chief Sund, I have a, a a specific question for you, and it's more forward-looking, And I, uh, but I'd appreciate your insights. The question is, how do we protect the Capitol from either a, an angry mob or probably more likely uh, one or two or three uh, malignant uh, uh, actors without turning it into a fortress? How do we allow the American people to go in the rotunda to tour the Capitol to picnic on the grounds to uh, play with their uh, kids. Uh, that, it seems to me that going forward, that's really one of the challenges. We want security, but we don't, I, I, I would hate to see the U.S. Capitol turned into a fortress. Your thoughts, Mr. Sund? I think you need your um, mic on there. Thank you. There you go, ma'am. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll go back to your original comment with the with the intelligence and the in the communications. I think we have the process in place for when we have credible intelligence, especially high level credible intelligence, to quickly get to where it needs to be. I think my big concern is, you know, on the on the collection, on how wide we're casting the net to collect uh, to collect our intelligence that would have revealed this was coming uh, and we are facing this type of mass insurrection. Uh, I, I definitely want to say the Capitol Police is well-versed, well-trained on handling what you're talking about, a, a Mumbai-style attack. Uh, a couple of, uh, you know, um, uh, attackers armed... Um, active shooter events, things like that. Those are the type of events that we are ready for. It is the thousands of people that are storming the Capitol that creates a, a big issue with us. So when you talk about, you know, physical security, and I had mentioned it in, one of, in my opening statement and in one of the initial questions, I think there are options for maintaining a, uh, an open environment, an open campus type of environment, while putting some substantial uh, physical security uh, measures in place, both for the building, the skin of the building, as well as uh, farther out. You know, time and distance is our best friend, uh, and the most important thing is to you know, provide some kind of protection farther out so the officers have more, um, you know, more time to deal with it. But that's something that I think should be discussed uh, in a closed or classified session. I, I, I understand, but uh, and I hope that, that that is a discussion, Madam Chair, that we can have. I think that's a, a very important uh, uh, because we, we just, uh, as I say, we, we don't want the United States Capitol to be uh, so protected that it's inaccessible to the American people. Uh, on, amplify on your on your intelligence. It seems to, intelligence answer. It seems to be you're saying we it's communicated adequately. 
but we didn't have the collection that we needed. For example, the, the Norfolk, Virginia letter, uh, uh, is it, how, do, how does it get filtered and where does it get filtered? Uh, again, the the, North, Norfolk, uh, the Norfolk Field Office letter, that's something, something to consider because even the, on the 5th, at noon on the 5th, I held a um, joint conference call with the members of the board, uh, my executive team, uh, a dozen of the top law enforcement and military officials from Washington, D.C., where we discussed the upcoming events on the 6th, the upcoming events on the uh, for the inauguration, any kind of threats, any kind of issues we may have. And even though I had, you know, we had the director of the field office the, uh, for the uh, Washington field office of the FBI, nothing was mentioned about it. Uh, so I think my big, uh, big point is I think we need to look out. There's significant evidence coming out that the insurrection that occurred on the 6th was planned, coordinated well in advance, coordinated almost to the point where you're looking between number of states where you're, you're having events coordinated. And it's that detection that I think would have been key to putting the uh, effective security in place for, the, for this event. Finally, when we're, when we're talking about uh, providing this, this level of security, do you is there a playbook? Is there a, uh, 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 a, a contingency plan that's literally sitting on a shelf somewhere that says uh, demonstrations around the Capitol? Here's what you do. It, I mean, some of the timing things, for example, the deployment of the National Guard might have been faster had there been a predetermined uh, set of phone numbers, actions, steps. Uh, to be taken. Does that exist? And if not, should it exist? To the level where you're including the National Guard, there is a process where we handle uh, special events and demonstrations, uh, but I, I tend to agree that we need to streamline the process that we request the National Guard in the future. Folks, good afternoon. And, it's and, to be yeah, because members. clearly there was a important, there was Tuesday. a delay there that was an important part of the. You're listening to the. Uh, important part of the. the, this is the, the former response Capitol at the time. Police chief uh, Madam Chair, I, again, I want to thank these witnesses. I think oh. they've really made a contribution. Senate uh, and, hearing uh, they regarding made a contribution January 6th. when they were uh, serving in their uh, respective positions. Uh, thank you. I yield back. Thank you. Thank you, Senator. Uh, Senator Cinema is uh, recognized uh, for her questions. Oh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, my first question is for Chief Conti. What coordinating actions were taken in the weeks leading up to January 6th to share intel across federal and local law enforcement? And what security planning took place and with which agencies? Thank you for that question. So there were a series of several meetings uh, that took place uh, leading up uh, to the events of January 6th. There are weekly uh, law enforcement uh, partners calls uh, that take place where our federal partners are part of that. Uh, there's the First Amendment uh, coordinating calls that took place, uh, at least two of those, uh, prior to this event. There's a National uh, Park Service uh, permit call that also took place uh, prior to this event. And as Chief Sun uh, mentioned uh, several uh, calls involving several of the law enforcement uh, ent entities uh, leading up to uh, the events of January uh, the 6th. Uh, so there are a significant amount of, of phone calls or virtual uh, meetings uh, that took place uh, leading up to January the 6th. Okay. Uh, thank you. And could you talk a little bit about what you see as the mistakes that were made or the holes 
um, that didn't help connect all those dots in those meetings and coordinating prior to January 6th. So I, I think the, the major uh, issue, at least from my uh, perspective, uh, I think that uh, in terms of the, the, the uh, sharing of information, how it's shared, I think that that, uh, that is where the focus uh, should be. Again, we're, we're talking about uh, a report that came from the Norfolk office uh, on the day before, the night, that night, it's around after 7 o'clock p.m., uh, that was sent to email boxes. You know, as the chief of police for the Metropolitan Police Department, I assure you that my phone is on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I'm available for any phone call uh, from any agency that has information with respect to something of this magnitude uh, happening in our city. Uh, certainly, if there was uh, information about uh, one of our police stations being overrun or a federal building uh, being overrun that was related to the Metropolitan Police Department, I assure you that I would be on the phone directly with the uh, uh, officials that are responsible for the law enforcement response uh, to give them that information firsthand. I'm not really relying on technology in the form of an email in hopes that that information makes it to where it needs to uh, where it needs to be. So I think that that's critical. Uh, to uh, Chief Sun's point, uh, there were several phone calls leading up to this and no specific information that talked about uh, the events that we saw and experienced on January 6th. And I really do believe uh, that there should be quite a bit of attention given to that. I appreciate that. My next question is for Mr. Sund. So you outlined that the FBI report was sent via email to the Capitol Police the evening of January 5th and that you never received the report. Um, is there an understanding within the system of how that report did not make it to you or to uh, other individuals in leadership in the Capitol Police the night of January the 5th? I appreciate that question, ma'am. Uh, actually, as I mentioned earlier in the uh, discussion, this is a report that I am just learning about within the last, you know, they informed me yesterday uh, of the report. So I'm not sure what uh, investigation may be going on. Uh, I've since since uh, January 8th uh, have left the department. Uh, what investigations? I'm, I know the chief has put uh, additional safe ma safeguards in place to make sure something like that doesn't happen again. But I'm not sure what the outcome of was, why that didn't get pushed up farther. Was there an expectation or a process or procedure prior to January 6th that should have gotten that memo up to your attention the night of January 5th? There's a, there's a process that ensures that information uh, from the Joint Terrorism Task Force and through our task force officers gets over to their intelligence division and would be moved up to our um, intelligence analyst and the director of that intelligence division. And then based on uh, that information, uh, it, he could push it then up to the assistant chief or directly to me. He has my cell phone number. Uh, we talk regularly. And so, to you, and as you mentioned, you were just learning about this recently, but... Would it have been an expectation that the FBI would have called Capitol Police or someone on the Joint Task Force to alert the new intelligence in an, in an expedited fashion, knowing that this information made it to the Capitol Police intel team on the 5th? What I'm trying to understand is how it did not get to the higher levels to make preparations the night of the 5th. Right. Let me, I'll just uh, go ahead and echo what Chief Conti had mentioned, that I do think that deserves additional focus. I think if we have information that's coming in the day before a major event, 
uh, that, that has that level of specificity that it could get a little more attention than you know, just being handled either through an email or electronic uh, uh, format. Mm-hmm. Was there any intelligence that you did receive in the several days leading up to January 6th that caused you to change any of the security plans amongst the United States Capitol Police? So, yeah, just to, just to reiterate, you know, all the intelligence and all the information that we've been receiving during the development of this, um, the event for the 6th, outlined very similar to what the intelligence report that we that was published on the 3rd uh, outlined. We're expecting large number of protesters coming in. We expected a potentially uh, violent uh, group. We knew they were being focused on the Capitol, and we knew that some of them had a, uh, uh, may be armed. And is that is what was really driving up until even, you know, regardless of what was put out the third, this was information that we, we knew we were developing our security plan uh, around that. And, and that's when we looked at, you know, we had, uh, based on our review of the November and December um, mega events, determined we were going to adjust our fence line and push our fence line out. And when we wanted to do that, that's when I requested the National Guard, knowing we're going to need support for the fence line. Thank you. You know, Chief Conti, you stated that the intelligence that you had received on January 6th didn't differ from the previous MAGA marches, the two previous. Was there any conversation or consideration about the fact that the January 6th was scheduled on a very important day that Congress would be in session certifying the results of the election? And was that different in a consideration around security? Um, than the other two marches, which had been on weekends without Congress being in session. Absolutely, and that's reflected in the response posture for the Metropolitan Police Department. Uh, for the two prior uh, demonstrations that happened, uh, the MAGA 1 and 2 uh, marches, the Metropolitan Police Department, uh, we did not call up uh, officers from surrounding jurisdictions to be stationed physically within the footprint of the District of Columbia. We, we did not do that before. Uh, the mayor, in addition to uh, calling up those additional resources, again, called up the National Guard specifically uh, for the reasons that we outlined to them, uh, to, which would allow the Metropolitan Police Department to be a lot nimble in our response. That, in, in, a, in essence, enabled us to be, to be able to respond quickly to assist the Capitol Police officers. So those response those responses were different. Uh, we were disrupting uh, individuals or intercepting individuals who were armed uh, with firearms in our city in violation of the mayor's order, many of whom that were on, on, on uh, federal, federal grounds. Uh, so the Metropolitan Police Department's uh, posture certainly was escalated beyond what we did the prior two marches. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, I appreciate your indulgence. I see I've gone over my time. I have a few extra questions that I'll submit. Thank you. Okay, very good. Thank you, Senator Cinema, and um, thank you for your emphasis on the good afternoon, uh, FBI John report Petro. and the issues that I everyone here seems to acknowledge. Or 99.9 FM. That is the voice of Senator Amy Klobuchar. Is this is the like Senate that? hearing. Okay, uh, next we have Senator Cruz, and then after oh, that, we want to hear this. Uh, this is Senator Ted um, Cruz. Senator Ossoff, and if there's any other senators who wish to ask the questions, who haven't asked questions, uh, you should tell us because those are the last two we have. Senator Cruz, oh, so let's listen in. Senator Thank Ted you, Madam Cruz. Chair. Uh, and let me say to each of the witnesses here today, thank you for being here. Thank you for your testimony, and 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 thank you also for your service. Uh, I want to thank each of you, and and also. Each of the heroic law enforcement officers who, who demonstrated extraordinary courage, 
uh, in fighting to repel all the terrorist attack that unfolded on the Capitol on January 6th. And, and we are grateful for the bravery and the courage in the, in the face of a, a truly horrific attack. In the aftermath of that attack, there is naturally a process uh, to assess what could have been done to better prevent that attack, to better secure the Capitol. And I think everyone recognizes that, that hindsight uh, is different from a decision made in the moment facing the threat immediately, but this, this hearing is nonetheless productive for analyzing the security decisions and law enforcement decisions that were made real time and for learning from them what can be done differently to ensure that, that an attack like that never again occurs. Chief Son, I, I, I want to focus on with some detail your your written testimony and just walk through what what occurred uh, in the days preceding January 6th and then on January 6th. So in your written testimony, uh, you say on Monday, January 4th, I approached the two sergeant at arms to request the assistance of the National Guard as you had no authority to do so. You go on to say I first spoke with the House sergeant at arms to request the National Guard. Mr. Irving stated that he was concerned about the, quote, optics of having National Guard present and didn't feel the intelligence supported it. He referred me to the Senate Sergeant at Arms to get his thoughts on the request. I then spoke to Mr. Stenger and again requested the National Guard. Instead of approving the use of the National Guard, however, Mr. Stenger suggested I ask then how quickly we could get support if needed and to lean forward in case we had to request assistance on, on January 6th. Can, can you describe at, at, at a little more length those conversations with, with the two sergeant at arms on, on January 4th? Absolutely, sir. The uh, first um, conversation occurred Monday morning. Uh, I went over, I, I'd have to refer to my notes, but sometime maybe around 11 o'clock uh, in the morning, I saw met with Mr. Irving in his office. That's where I made the first request for the for the National Guard. Uh, he had indicated that I don't, I don't know if I really like the optics. You know, I don't think the intelligence really, really supports it. Uh, he had, like we had said, um, recommended I talk to the Senate Sergeant Arms. I went over and met with uh, later on the day, uh, either I'm trying to recall if it's in person or over the phone. I have to go back to my, my uh, recollect my timeline uh, where I reached out to him uh, and they may have already talked because uh, he had referred me and said, do you have, know somebody over at the D.C. National Guard? I said, yes, I do. I have a good friend over there, General William Walker. He said, can you give him a call and see if we needed assistance, how quickly could we get assistance and what type of assistance could he give us? So that evening as I was driving home at about 6.35 at night, I went ahead and called uh, General Walker uh, and, and spoke to him and said, hey, General Walker, I don't have uh, authority to request National Guard, but I want to find out if we needed them on Wednesday. How quickly could you get them for us? And is there a way you can kind of, you know, be prepared just in case we put in the, put in the request? At that point, he had advised me that he has 125 National Guardsmen who are supporting the COVID response in the District of Columbia. And if we needed a, a response, a quick response, he could, what he called, repurpose them and get them to the armory, at which point we could get somebody over to swear them in and try and get them to us as quick as possible. We ended our call. Uh, the next day, I met with uh, both. Uh, I met with Mr. Um, Stinger. He came over to the office for the 12 o'clock video call that I'd hosted with the dozen of uh, the law enforcement officials from the National Capital for the from D.C. 
We spoke about it briefly there and uh, told him what William Walker had told me, as well as I passed on to Mr. Irving, I think later on that afternoon. They both seemed satisfied with that response. So, Mr. Irving and Mr. Stanger, Mr. Irving, as I understand it, you have some disagreement with the characterization uh, about the concern about the optics. So, so I would invite both Mr. Irving and Mr. Stanger to, to relay your best recollection of, of that conversation on January 4th. Senator, my best recollection of the conversation on January 4th was a phone call from Chief Sund indicating that he had received an offer for 125 unarmed guard that could be positioned around traffic perimeter checkpoints at the Capitol. My recollection again is as we followed up with Mr. Stanger, the three of us engaged in a conversation whereby we looked at the offer in light of the existing intelligence. And the decision, the collective decision amongst the three of us was that the intelligence did not warrant the National Guard. And my recollection that ended the discussion relative to the, the, the offer, and the only question on the table is, any, should we do, perform any follow-up? And Mr. Stanger recommended that we ask that, we, that they be placed on standby. And that was the end of the discussion. So to, to the best of your recollection, did you make the comment about optics? And, and if so, what, what did you mean by that? I cannot re remember my exact verbiage. Had I used any language to the effect, I it was all in reference to whether the intelligence was matched to the security plan. Uh, and, and, and let me ask both Mr. Irving and Mr. Stenger, did, did you all have conversations with congressional leadership, either Democratic or Republican leadership, on this question of supplementing law enforcement presence, bringing in National Guard, uh, either on January 4th or real time in January 6th? On January 4th, no, I had no follow-up conversations. And it, and it was not until the 6th that I alerted leadership that we might be making a request. And that was the end of the discussion. Mr. Sanger? Uh, for myself, it was January 6th that uh, I mentioned it to... Uh, uh, Folks, good afternoon. It's time to be so. This is the so there's been some disagreement about what time phone calls occurred. I know Senator Portman asked earlier. Presumably Former everyone Senate has Sergeant phone Lawrence records. I think it would be helpful if, if each of you could January 6th forward the, the relevant phone records to this committee. And in Chief Sund, you also reference in your testimony that you sent an, an email to uh, congressional leadership. Um, uh, if you could forward that to the committee as well, I think that would be helpful. Thank you. Folks, again, you're listening to the John DePietro Thank show. Thank you, uh, Senator Asa. This is the last uh, senator to question. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you to our panel. Just want to take a moment and echo the sentiments of so many of my colleagues expressing appreciation for the men and women of the United States Capitol Police uh, who endured a great deal on January 6th and showed great heroism. And also, uh, Madam Chair, if I might express an interest in working with you to ensure that they're well taken care of and their needs are met. This discussion of the conversation that the three of you had uh, regarding 
supplementary security support on January 6th raises the question of who's in charge. Is consensus between the two sergeants at arms and the chief of the U.S. Capitol Police required to make such a request? Mr. Sund. The request for the National Guard uh, needs to go to the Capitol Police Board for approval, yes. Who has ultimate responsibility for the security of the U.S. Capitol complex? Which individual? I believe that falls under the Capitol Police Board. The Capitol Police Board. So there is no individual who has personal responsibility for the security of the U.S. Capitol complex? That's the way I interpret it, yes. Have the U.S. Capitol Police conducted exercises simulating comparable events such as a violent riot on or within the U.S. Capitol complex? Uh, part, of our, part of our training for civil disobedience units uh, involves dealing with riotous groups. So we do do that training. We do do training on people attempting to gain entry into the into the building. Uh, officers are trained on how to handle if someone tries to come through your door uh, unauthorized. Uh, but training for thousands of you know armed insurrectionists, they were coordinated and well equipped. Uh, no, we have not had that training before January sixth. But I'm sure we'll find a way to. Uh, I'm sure they'll find a way to do it now. So, if I understand correctly, Mr. Sund, you're saying that. Personnel had engaged in tactical training regarding techniques to repel attempts to breach the complex regarding rules of engagement. Um, But had any comprehensive exercises that included command, that included uh, procedures for coordination with supporting agencies, that included requests for support, that included communications with the Department of Defense or White House officials or guard units been conducted? Yes, we have. We, we do exercises that are very similar to what, what you're talking about before some of our national special security events. Uh, those are the NSSEs, such as the inauguration. We'll do uh, tabletop exercises that uh, go through the, the process of what you're talking about. Yes. Thank you. And, and had the Capitol Police held any such exercises um, not right. pertaining to Folks, specific- we're going to... Um- Again, it's been interesting. This is, uh, uh, that's the guy from uh, Georgia who we can't stand. Well, good afternoon. It's John DePietro on this. uh, Well, I mean, listen, it's it's dry out. And uh, folks would look if the weather could stay like this. Could get a little bit of um, rain this afternoon. But the uh, rest of the week, tomorrow looks uh, mild. Thursday will be the next COVID briefing. It's all ahead on the John DePietro Show. Uh, and something to look forward to. Right now it's 144. Again, folks, this was, um, this, what was significant about this morning was uh, the people you were listening to, was one of them was resigned immediately after what happened on, um, on January 6th with the protests at the Capitol. And um, and then what also was significant that came out, I'm sure you will hear about more of it, but um, even the people there admit that there were members of Antifa there. I know that uh, so many people are pushing this notion that it was just all uh, Trump supporters, but that turns out not to be the case. Hey, I want to remind you, 
at 145 on this Tuesday about Brothers Disposal. They're now offering weekly trash collection services. Call for an estimate today. Call Roland and Willie at Brothers Disposal. Come on, brother. 401-688-0517. 401-688-0517. Brothers Disposal. Get a purple dumpster in your driveway. It can help you clean things out, unwanted belongings, or... Again, if you're a business now offering trash collection services, call Brothers Disposal today, 401-688-0517, 401-688-0517 for Brothers Disposal. Now, where do things stand with Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo? Well, there is an update on that, and that is Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer predicted a confirmation vote. For Governor Raimondo, as early as next week. Let's hear. I believe Channel 12 did a piece on this. And uh, this is Senator Schumer. The confirmation of two key nominees, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, to serve as U.N. Ambassador, and Tom Vilsack, to serve as Agriculture Secretary. As I said yesterday, the Senate will also confirm Jennifer Granholm this week to serve as the next Energy Secretary and begin the confirmation of Dr. Miguel Cardona to serve as the next Education Secretary. We also hope to do Gina Raimondo, Secretary nominee for Secretary of Commerce, early next week. Each of these nominees has received bipartisan support and committee. Each of these nominees is undoubtedly qualified for their positions, a stark departure from the caliber of nominees the Senate was made to consider during the previous administration. All right. And make no mistake. So, folks, again, that uh, he does mention her by name and says sometime early next week. Now, just in the last 24 hours, things certainly seem to be turning around with the vaccine situation, at least at the very least. uh, It's been very difficult the past two days, but trying to uh, get more appointments out there and also, uh, you know, as much as they continue to try to defend what has gone on so far, without question, folks, the vaccine rollout has not gone as planned. I want to play, as I mentioned yesterday, it was at the end of the program. And again, folks, good afternoon. It's Sean DePietro on this Tuesday. Uh, Governor Mundo was on Facebook Live, and then she was uh, answering some questions about it. But let's... Um, questions. Um, but I did want to take a few minutes to join the call um, and talk a little bit about vaccinations and the question on everyone's mind, which is how are we doing, where we are, how's it, go- how's it going? Uh, I will say, you know, there's been a, a fair bit of development and and mainly good news over the past uh, week or so. In the I'm not going to repeat. Listen, it was it was not good. It was bad. Uh, as a result of the media putting heat on her, the governor, Governor Mundo, has in fact started to uh, put more more focus uh, into that, and she's also started to give incoming governor. Lieutenant Governor Dan McKee uh, starting to give him more authority, and that can only be a good thing because it should not. I am seeing some people uh, got the vaccine uh, with uh, this is uh, um, someone put this out on social media at the dunk. Legit 65 Rhode Island, a very organized, great system. Everyone's very helpful. Second one now scheduled. Only surprise, needle not as big as it looked on TV and no lollipop. All right, so people are getting the vaccine in that can uh, only be a positive, to say the very least, only um, be a positive. And I want to just check some of the uh, the headlines. The situation with it, it does seem 
that Governor Munder's nomination could be a final vote next week. And then they think it'll be very uh, swift and it'll go through. Folks, the other big news of the day, Lifespan and Care New England have signed a definitive agreement merge and create an integrated health system with Brown University. Brown is committing uh, $125 million over five years. So that's like the big news of the day. It's still a lot of unknown exactly how that's going to uh, break out. Other big news of the day. How about Massachusetts Education Commissioner Jeff Riley moving to try to force school reopenings, setting up what could be a charge debate and battle with teachers unions. I mean, this has just been nonstop with trying to get them to come back. Now, uh, so the temperature is definitely changing. But, folks, we're not out of the woods yet. Why not fill your oil tank? Call Henry Oil today. Who's your oil provider? Switch to Henry Oil, 401-521-0200. Henry Oil, reliable, affordable fuel oil delivery, residential and commercial fuel oil, online at henryoil.com. Switch to Henry Oil. Call Henry Oil today. Hey, 401 521 Automatic delivery, budget plans, service contracts, lock and cap pricing, serving most of Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass, oil burner service and insulation. It's Henry Oil, 401-521-0200 and online at henryoil.com. Folks, good afternoon. It's John DePietro on this Tuesday. Hey, remember, if you're hungry, why not pop in? And see our friends at Ron's Pastry Gourmet, 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. Ron's Pastry Gourmet, they have delicious calzones. They have delicious cannolis. Ron and Melissa, everything fresh. They were in there early making sure everything, and it's so delicious. They still have the Trump chocolate donuts and the Trump cupcakes. You're going to love Ron's Pastry Gourmet. They also have the Italian Zeppolo with real boiled cream inside. They're delicious, and they're so fresh. Stop it and see them. Look for them on Facebook. Rhode Island's number one pastry gourmet. It's Ron's Pastry Gourmet, 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. Now, right now, it's 151. It's Tuesday afternoon. And if there's someone listening right now, I am here to help. If you're having a problem with your heating system, you want to contact JKL Engineering today. Now, remember, they're licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts, JKL 401 351-7600-401-351-7600, J.K.L. Engineering. They're licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts with J.K.L. Estimates are free. Financing is available. It's J.K.L. Engineering. Call them today, 401-351-7600, 401-351-7600 for J.K.L. JKL Engineering. Remember, they'll do it right. They'll do it right the first time. 54 years in business. And their customer service is second to none. They'll do it right the first time. It's JKL Engineering. 401-351-7600. Now, uh, some of the sound from earlier. This was uh, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin talking about the situation at the Capitol. We have some sound of this. Pastor who passed me along Constitution Avenue, some were indignant and contemptuous of Congress, but not one appeared angry or incited to riot. Many of the marchers were families with small children. Many were elderly, overweight, or just plain tired or frail. Trace not typically attributed to the riot prone. Many wore pro-police shirts or carried pro-police black and blue flags. 
Although the crowd represented a broad cross-section of Americans, mostly working class by their appearance and manner of speech, some people stood out. A very few didn't share the jovial, friendly, earnest demeanor of the great majority. Some obviously didn't fit in. And he describes four different types of people, plainclothes militants, agents provocateurs, fake Trump protesters, and then disciplined, uniformed column of attackers. I think these are the people that uh, probably planned this. He goes on, the D.C. Metropolitan Police were their usual professionally detached selves, standing on curbs or at street crossings and exchanging an occasional greeting for marchers. When we crossed 1st Street Northwest to enter the Capitol grounds where the Capitol Police had jurisdiction, I noticed no police at all. Several marchers expressed surprise. The openness seemed like a courtesy gesture from Congress, which controls security. Now, folks, again, you know, that what him saying is is exactly right, where the bulk of the people were very peaceful people that just happened to be there. So this whole notion that's been put forward about, you know, it's white supremacist and and there every that is completely false. The the majority of the people that were there they were there. They were peaceful protesters. They were there just to show their support for the president. And that was basically it. To try to, you know, uh, the, this whole narrative that somehow that everyone there was uh, uh, was an evil white supremacist. It's, it's, it's just it's not it's not true. It's not what happened. Now, folks, on this Tuesday afternoon, there's a lot of snow that is melting. There's a lot of ice. There's going to be more rain later in the week. Now, remember, if you're ever in an accident, maybe right now at 154 in this Tuesday afternoon, maybe were you in an accident? Did someone damage your vehicle, whether it's a small dent or a nearly total vehicle, whether it's you or someone you work with or a family member, call West Fountain Auto Body. If you need to get your vehicle repaired, I request you call West Fountain. I'm going to give you the number in just a moment. Uh, West Fountain Auto Body. They're located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. They're going to work for you, not the insurance company. Call West Fountain Auto Body, 401 272 3340. 401 272 3340. Now, if you're ever in an accident, the first thing you need to do is call the police and fill out a police report. Now, if you can't drive your vehicle and a tow truck shows up, instruct the tow truck operator to bring your vehicle to West Fountain Auto Body, located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. Folks, they're right off uh, 95, right behind the Providence Public Safety Complex. West Fountain Auto Body. You can call them at 401 272 3340. Kenny will repair that vehicle. Showroom like condition. Call Kenny and Patricia at West Fountain Auto Body. 401 272 3340. 401 272 3340. West Fountain Auto Body. Located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. Again, there is a lot, but they're going to handle, but they're going to work for you, not the insurance company. So right now on this Tuesday afternoon, and you're listing. On either 99.9 FM or maybe AM 1380. And you can hear my voice. Or maybe you're listening online at the website, topetro.com. And you're saying, you know, as a matter of fact, someone did. I was in an accident and the back of my car was damaged or a door was dented or the whatever it is. And you need to get it fixed and you just haven't called anyone yet. Well, Juan is here to help. Call West Fountain, 272-3340-401. 272 3340. It's West Fountain 
auto body. Now, if you ever miss any portion of the show, you can always go to the website, dipetro.com, and then you just click on under the right-hand side, it says radio show, and then you can always uh, listen to the show. We have it posted. There's a good piece in this morning's New York Times, Woke Me When It's Over. In the humorless world of woke, the satire is never funny. The statute of limitations never expires, even or what comes to, I mean, and they give some different examples. No transgression of sensitivity so trivial not invite a moralizing rebuke on social media. No cultural tradition is so innocuous that need to be protected from the slightest criticism, at least if the critic has the wrong ethnic pedigree. No writer is so innocent that she should be spared from having her spouse's alleged failings trotted out to suggest discrimination by association. And no charge of cultural insensitivity is so far-fetched it won't force a magazine self-abasing self-expurgation. So they give an example of what happened with Bon Appetit. But George Orwell warned in 1984 of a world in which, quote, the past was erased, the erasure was forgotten, the lie became the truth. At the Ministry of Truth, Winston Smith was obliged to rewrite what had been said about sweets, chocolates, not cookies, to hide the fact of ever dwindling rations. So um, they talk about these different examples and even a cover of the New Yorker magazine and uh, how they had the um, cover art of Michelle Obama, the fist bump with um, Barack Obama. And uh, at the time, New Yorker editor David Remnick defended the art, saying it was satire. But in the humorless world of woke, satire is never funny. Statue of limitations never expires. His intentions are irrelevant. And judgments inherently biased. So what comes next? Well, in January, Jason Kilborn, law professor, University of Illinois, Chicago, was placed on indefinite administrative leave. Barred from campus, kicked off his committee assignments after students protested he'd included the n-word in b-word as part of his semester exam on civil procedure no he didn't use the slurs themselves he just wrote the first letter followed by a line and it still didn't matter and it still didn't save him so just that just even doing that not using the word can cause problems folk uh folks folk uh, contact me at the website, dipetro.com. It's John DePetro. Listen, coming up is the 2 o'clock news, and then straight ahead is the John Dion program. I'm back tomorrow at 11. As always, log on at the website, dipetro.com. You can contact me that way. So stay tuned. 2 o'clock news is coming up, then John Dion. Enjoy your Tuesday right here, AM 1380. WNRI Socket, 1380 AM, 99.9 FM, W260DC.